Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you, cannot do the, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, thank you. Matt for reading and thanks to Matt and Steffi for leading us uh, musically this morning. Um, Let me pray for us as we turn to look at God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just echo the prayer that we have sung, that you would be at work in us through your word and by your Holy Spirit in these next few minutes together, and that you would take this word and plant it deep in us for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, our focus this week is on giving, and I'm really excited this week to be talking about Jesus' teaching on giving, because I think it is among the most liberating and life-giving teaching that I've ever come across in my life. It has been hugely significant in my own discipleship, and I trust that the same will be true for others this morning and for us as a church family as we embrace this teaching of the Lord Jesus on giving Um, But I have to admit that I haven't always been excited um, about this topic. I can remember times uh, sitting in the pews in church, um, feeling um, a little uncomfortable as the topic of money was brought up. Um, I felt, you know, I don't really like people talking about money because my money is my money. It makes me feel secure and in control. We must all know something of that. 
I can also remember uh, as a student sitting there and thinking, oh, well, I didn't really have much money anyway. I'm struggling to make ends meet in the first place. So this isn't for me. This is, this is for the people with, you know, proper paying jobs to consider. And I would kind of tune out at that moment or, or begin to feel perhaps a little bit defensive even, you know, drawing up the drawbridge, closing the shutters in my mind. But I've come to see that none of that really makes sense in light of Jesus' teaching because Jesus' teaching on money isn't really about money. No, Jesus doesn't really care that much about your money. He cares about your heart. And the reason he talks so much about money as he does right through the Gospels is because he knows that money has a peculiar power over our hearts, a peculiar ability to control us, It's as though money kind of weaves its tentacles all through every area of our lives. It does, doesn't it? But then gets a grip on us and takes a hold of us in a way that few things have the power to do. Uh, We hear a lot these days about this idea of financial freedom. You know, people's aim to be financially free by their mid-40s, able to pursue a life of leisure. Jesus also wants us to have financial freedom but he has a very different understanding from the world about how we achieve that financial freedom. You see, the world says you achieve financial freedom by accumulating enough wealth that you can sit back and relax and enjoy life. Whereas Jesus wants us to have financial freedom by loosening the grip that money has on our hearts and so weakening the control that it has over our lives. Because the spiritual reality is that the more that we grip onto our money, the more that it grips onto us. And that it's only as we release our grip on our money in generosity that we find its power and control over us begins to weaken. Jesus isn't after your money. He's after your heart and he wants your freedom. And so in the verses that Matt read for us a few moments ago, Jesus gives us a warning, an instruction, and a guarantee. A warning, an instruction, and a guarantee. And the first is a warning. A man comes to him in verse 13, and he says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, we don't know much about this man's situation, about the merits or lack thereof in his claim about his brother's uh, failure to divide the inheritance with him. But the point is here we have a man who feels that for one reason or another, he deserves more, that he needs more and appeals to Jesus to intervene in that situation. But Jesus sees the issue behind the question, the issue underlying the man's request and what it reveals about his approach to money. And so Jesus responds in verse 15 with a warning. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And to give more color to his point, he gives this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
Now, do you notice right through that parable, the man talks about my crops, my surplus grain, my barns. He speaks to myself of his great wealth. And this is the principle, the tighter we grip onto our stuff, the smaller our world becomes. He's concerned not with others' needs, but his needs. He's concerned not with God's priorities, but with his priorities. The tighter we grip onto our stuff, the smaller our world becomes. And so in this parable, Jesus says this. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Our very lives are in God's hands. What makes us think that what's in our bank accounts is ours? The breath in your lungs right now is a gift from God. Everything that we have really is his. A few years ago, uh, I heard my brother share this um, quote that one of his friends um, uh, said. And ever since I heard it, it struck with me. He said this, your spiritual need to give to the church is greater than the church's financial need to receive it. Let me say that again. Your spiritual need to give to the church is greater than the church's financial need to receive it. Do you see the point there? This really isn't about money. It's about what controls your heart. And the antidote to greed isn't poverty. It's not giving away all of your stuff so suddenly you're poor and in need. It's generosity. Because when we become generous, it gradually kills the grip that money has over our hearts. It teaches our hearts that the things that God has given us aren't mine, me, my, myself. They're his. The antidote to greed isn't poverty. It's generosity. And you know, I've got a long way to go in this myself. But I have, in my own limited way, discovered the truth of this in my own discipleship. That as I've taken a step of faith in deciding to give more to the church, I found that as I do so, the grip that money has on me just seems to loosen. Suddenly I have less money, but I actually feel less need of money, not more need of money, because I realize that it doesn't have that same control over me anymore. And so Jesus here gives us, first of all, a warning. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. You want financial freedom? You won't get it by chasing money. You do that and it will control you. It will enslave you. It won't set you free. Financial freedom comes from being willing to let go of our money and find that it loses its control over our hearts. That is uh, the warning. And next we have an instruction um, from Jesus. And um, here it is. He says, do not worry. Uh, Can we have the next slide, please? Great, thank you. Um, Do not worry. And this is uh, what uh, Jesus uh, says. Look at verse 22. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add even a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? 
Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. You see, if we're not generous, it suggests that maybe we don't really trust God to provide us with what we really need. And so Jesus says, do not worry. It raises the question for us, do I really trust that God will provide me with all that I need? Why would I trust that? Well, look back to what Jesus said just back um, in verse 24 at the end there, how much more valuable you are than birds. Now, what do you reckon was running through Jesus's head as he said that? Do you think possibly Jesus was thinking about something of which no one else had a clue at that moment? You know, I don't know. I don't know what was running through Jesus's head, but I find it very easy to imagine that he was probably looking forward to the cross in his mind there. Looking at this crowd thinking, you have no idea how much you're worth. I'm going to show you how much you're worth by going to the cross and dying for you. How much more valuable you are than birds. God the Father gave his son Jesus for you. That's how valuable you are. And you know, that tells us a couple of things when it comes to our money. The first is that Your value, my value, is not determined by how much we give to God or to the church. It's determined by how much God has given for us. And he's given his son. And by that valuation, you could not be any more valuable or cherished to him. And what you give to the life of the church cannot increase or decrease your value. You are a loved, cherished child of God. He gave his son for you. The other thing it tells us is this. Since God's given his son for you, you can be sure that he will give you all that you need. Romans 8 verse 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God has shown how much he values you. He's given his son for you. Do you think there's anything else that he wouldn't give you? Of course not. And so I don't need to worry because I know what I'm worth to God and I know that he will provide for my every need. I don't need to provide for myself in every possible eventuality and every possible financial scenario with an insurance package or a savings pot that covers it. Should I be responsible with my finances? Yes. Is it responsible for me to save? Of course it is. But not in such a way that I no longer need to trust God to provide for me. And if we really believe that God will provide for us, that he values us like that, it will enable us to give of our first fruits, not the scraps. There's this principle right through the Bible that we give God of our best, uh, the first fruits of the harvest, not just the things that are left over. 
A few nights ago in our house, we had a roast chicken. And I had the job of carving up the chicken. I put the, the chicken on the kids' plates and mine and Rebecca's plates, took it over the, to the table. We had a nice meal together. And then afterwards, in clearing up, it was my job to pick off all the rest of the chicken off the, off the bones and put it in a Tupperware for us to have the next day. And the whole time while I was picking the chicken off the bones, the cat was there at my feet going, oh, please, 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 please give me some. And so I kind of looked around, and when Rebecca wasn't looking, I threw some scraps to the cat, and she um, ate them up nice and quickly. But you would think there was something wrong with me if I'd done it the other way around, wouldn't you? I put the, the prime cuts on the plate, put them at the table, hang on, kids, hang on, kids, and then put the cat on the chair, tucked a little napkin in her collar, poured her a little bowl of, of milk, bon appetit, I let her tuck in, and all the, all the while the kid's begging for food. No, 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 wait, 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 wait for the cat. You think I was completely off my head. You'd be right. The kids come before the cat. There's a priority there. They get the first choice. What does it look like to budget in a way that God gives God the first fruits, not just the scraps? If we, need, if we heed Jesus' instruction not to worry, if we trust the God who values us so highly as to give his own son for us, to continue to provide for us, then we'll be able to give of our best, to give of our first fruits in gratitude and faith. We'll budget in a way that trusts not in self-provision, but in God's provision for us, knowing that he will always give us all that we need. And so there we have an instruction. Do not worry. Trust your heavenly father who values you more than you could ever understand to look after you and to provide for your greatest needs. And thirdly, we have a guarantee. Look at these words that Jesus finished with and that we heard earlier. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, there have been times when I've, I've thought of giving to church a bit like a church tax. You know, I, I come, I, I, I recognize that I, I use their resources um, I recognize it takes money to heat the building, keep the lights on, pay some salaries. And so I kind of think, you know, it's fair enough that I make something of a contribution to cover the costs. I see it as kind of like a church tax. Our giving is not supposed to be a tax. Neither is it supposed to be an obligation. You know, I've had this conversation with people a number of times um, about giving. They say, you know, well, how much should I be giving? How do I know how much is enough to be giving? And sometimes people have raised that Old Testament principle of tithing, giving 10% of your income, which is a very useful basis to work upon. But here's the danger of going down that route. And I've had conversations that have gone like this. You know, as soon as you start talking about 10%, people can start thinking, well, is that before tax or after tax? Because, you know, that actually makes quite a big difference. And of course, the mortgage is a big thing. I have to pay that. And so do we count that after the mortgage has gone out or, or before? And I can't really live without the internet. So does that come, or do we tithe that or, or not. And suddenly the conversation has become about how little can I give whilst continuing to feel like a generous Christian. And if that's the dynamic going on as well, then we're thinking in completely the wrong terms. It's not a tax or an obligation. It's a response to God's grace to us. 
In verse 32, Jesus said, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's already given you the kingdom. Our giving isn't to try and accrue his favor. It's a response to the favor that he has already given us. It's a response and it's also, it's a privilege, an absolute privilege to be able to invest in an eternal kingdom. Look at verse 33, if you've got it open in front of you. Jesus says, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail when no thief comes near and no moth destroys. I remember a few years ago at the church that I was at at the time, sitting in the pew for a vision Sunday, hearing about the the vision for the next year, appealing to the church family to contribute financially to fund that vision. And I remember hearing of what God had done through the ministry of the church in the year past and what people were looking forward to as possibilities for the year ahead. I remember hearing of missionaries all over the world doing amazing work, sharing the gospel with people, translating the Bible into languages for people who don't yet have access to it, training people to be pastors and teachers around the world. I remember hearing stories of God working in the lives of young people in our own church family and changing people's lives. I remember um, a story of um, a guy who I actually ended up baptizing who had um, had a more dramatic testimony, not like many of us, but who had had a real battle with drugs and that had really pushed his life to the brink and he went to a Christian rehabilitation center and his life was turned around and I remember hearing him sharing his story in front of the church family and baptizing him and I remember a number of people a guy from South Korea who just uh, come along to church I can't quite remember why but became interested and started coming on a Christianity Explore course came to faith as did his wife and his daughter Lives changed by the ministry of the church and by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And I remember hearing of plans to plant churches and to do church grafts like we enjoyed um, here back in September. And I remember hearing of all of these lives being changed, all the opportunities to see God at work. And I thought, I want a piece of that. I remember thinking, if I give my money to this, I have a stake in that. I'm a part in changed lives and suddenly it didn't come about, well, pre-tax, post-tax, how much? I, I was thinking, well, I want to give to that. I'm investing in something that can last forever. Sign me up. Where's the form? And not just in terms of my money, but in terms of my whole life. You know, this is why I do the job that I do, that I want to invest in building something that will last forever. And you don't have to become a vicar to do that. You can do that whatever your line of, uh, of work or if you don't have employment at all, The point is, are you using the life that you have to build something that will last forever? Jesus tells us to store our treasure somewhere where it can't be stolen, where it can't depreciate in value, to store it in the world to come, not in this world. This is about investing in something that will last forever. It's an absolute privilege to be able to invest in God's kingdom. You know, I think... um, People sometimes, I think, think I'm a bit morbid because I speak in the way that I'm about to, but I don't really care. I'm going to anyway. We won't be here for very long. You know, we really won't be here for very long. We sometimes tease older people because they always say, um, you know, it goes so fast, doesn't it? And you know, the reason probably that people as they get on in life so universally say, oh, it goes so fast, is probably because it does actually go so fast. That would seem to be where the evidence is pointing us. We really won't be here for long. 
You know, before long, another group of Christians is going to turn up week by week in this building, worshiping God, singing, hearing from his word, going again. Won't be any of us because we'll all be in our graves. We may be vaguely remembered by one or two. We're not going to be here for very long. What are we going to live for in these few lives, a few years that we have walking the earth now? If I can put it, if this isn't too dramatic, if I can put it like this, where are you going to be in a week? You're probably thinking the same place every week. We're all at home. But here's another possibility. You could be exactly where I'm standing right now. Probably not in exactly a week because we'll be having another service then. But this is where we put coffins when we have a funeral. Could be right here in a week. Just don't know. And look, it may not be a week. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's a decade. Maybe it's several. The point is, it's not going to be long. We haven't got long. What are we going to invest our lives in, in these few years that we have on the earth? What is going to last forever? Your refurbished bathroom? The optional extras on your new car? What's going to last forever? In the few passing years we have on the earth, we have a decision about where to invest our lives. The England cricketer, C.T. Studd, who gave up a flourishing and promising cricketing career to go and be a missionary in China, once wrote these words, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you investing your treasure? In this world or the next? You know, it's actually very clever what Jesus says there in those words. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Because it works in two ways. It works to diagnose our hearts. You want to know where your heart is? Well, just give me your bank statement, I'll tell you. Your treasure shows you where your heart is. So it works to diagnose our hearts, but it also works as a treatment. Because if you want your heart to be in a particular place, the way to do that is to put your treasure there. We all know this. You know, if you buy a new car and you drive it home and you park it outside the house, you're suddenly very protective of your car. There'll be a while where you're cleaning it every week, where you're telling the kids to not go anywhere near it with their scooter, where you're very upset if anyone gets too near to you in a supermarket car park or something like that. You're very precious over your car because you've just invested all this money in it. And your heart follows your investment. And we can make that point about any number of things that you might invest your money in. We know that principle. The same is true with our giving to God's work. And so it helps as a treatment because often we want to give more than we actually want to give. We want to want to give more. And so what Jesus says there works as a diagnosis of where our hearts are, but also it works as a treatment because if you want to want to give more, well, give more and watch your heart follow it. The gospel gives us the freedom to give only what we want because it's a response to what he's done. But the principle Jesus says here says, actually, you know, maybe give a little bit more and see your desires, your heart, follow your treasure. There's a song I've been listening to over and over and over again recently. It seems to have just really struck a chord with me at the moment. And in it, these words are sung. Let my children tell their children. Let this be their memory. That all my treasure was in heaven. 
and you were everything to me. May that be our legacy. It's not about the church's financial need. It's about my spiritual need. It's not about leftovers, but first fruits. It's not a tax. It's an investment. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. And it's not about money. It's about freedom. And it's about my heart. Now, as I talk about something so practical, I want to make some very practical points before I close. And the first is this, that if you are hard up financially at the moment, please, please do not hear any of this as kind of shaking the can, asking for more money. It's absolutely not that. The point is this is about your heart, not about your money. So please don't feel any pressure to give. Indeed, it might well be appropriate for you to reduce your giving for a time or stop it completely. And even more than that, if you're really hard up financially, please talk to me in confidence about that. We are a church family. We don't just bandy that language around. We are a family. And we want to support you at the moment if you are struggling financially. And we have ways that we can look at doing that. So please be in touch if you're hard up financially now or at any point in the future. I also want to make the point that I'm conscious there are a number in the church family whose spouse isn't a churchgoer or, or isn't in the same place as you spiritually. And I want to say, if that's the case, again, this is not about how much money you give. It's about where your heart is. And so please don't allow this issue to become a point of division or tension in your marriage. I think it's a good thing to tell your spouse where your heart is in terms of wanting to put your treasure, but then honor them. Honour them and don't allow it to become an issue uh, between the two of you. I also want to say, if you've only got a very little to give, don't be discouraged by that. Uh, There's this principle that if we give a lot out of the little that we have, God can do a lot out of the little that we give. Think of the boy with five loaves and two fish. What a a silly, measly offering to Jesus trying to feed a crowd of 5,000. And yet Jesus used it to do exactly that. And so be encouraged, even if you have a little to give, to know that God can do a lot with the little that we give him. Uh, Also a word about giving to other things. You know, Rebecca and I give to other things as well, other than the church, and that's good. If God prompts you to do that, then do so. But we do also prioritize in our giving, giving to the local church. Why do we do that? Well, two reasons. One, that we know that principle, that our hearts will follow our treasure. And we want to be deeply invested and to love our church family more and more. And God has put us here with a a particular mission, not just because of my job, but because we are members of this church family with a vision to reach these villages with the good news of Jesus. And so we're allowing our investments to follow that. But also because we're conscious that if we don't give to the church, if we, the congregation, don't give to the church, who will? (laughs) No one will. And so because God has put us here, we prioritize giving to the church in that way. I also want to say a very big thank you to everyone who is giving and is giving really sacrificially and generously already. That does so much for our ability to minister to each other and to reach these villages with the good news of Jesus. So thank you to all of you who are already giving um, in that way. And so I, I do want to ask everyone whether you would review your giving. Um, either today or this week. Rebecca and I, after lunch, we're going to put James down for a nap 
the other two boys we're going to put in front of the TV to watch a film and we're going to sit down and reconsider our giving and our finances together. And can I encourage you um, this week, either today or, or some other point, to set aside some time to do that as well. And here are some particular prompts uh, uh, and challenges as you do that. If you're someone who's giving occasionally at the moment, could you begin to give regularly and in a planned way? The way that is most helpful uh, in terms of individual finances, but also our finances as a church, is to have standing orders coming in regularly so that we can plan and we know what's coming in. That would be really helpful. If you're giving occasionally, would you consider giving regularly in that planned way? If you're giving regularly, would you consider giving proportionally in a way that is proportionate to your income and um, your financial um, abilities? With that kind of first fruits mentality, giving your best to God, not just the leftovers. If you are giving proportionally, can I encourage you to think about giving sacrificially? There was a year after Rebecca and I were married where we were both working, um, not with great salaries, but reasonable salaries. We had a low rent, we had a car, we didn't have kids. And actually, you know, if we had been giving 10%, we wouldn't have even really noticed it going out the account, if I'm honest. And so that was a season in our lives when we could be much more generous than 10% of our income. And so if you are giving proportionally, can I encourage you to think about whether you might give sacrificially as well in a way that actually affects your lifestyle. And a thought as well about those, if you have a will, it can make a huge difference to the ministry of a church when people leave what's called a legacy in your will, a gift to the church in your will. I've heard of two cases um, just recently, one in a church uh, where my friend is the vicar, where a, a significant legacy has been left in a way that will transform the ministry of that church for generations, plural, to come. It can have a huge impact. And so would you consider whether that's right for you as well? It's really important that you know that the vicar never knows what anyone gives. I never know. Please don't tell me. I have no access to the bank accounts. The treasurer knows that I don't want to know, so I never know. And the truth is I don't really care. Don't really care how much you give, but I do care about your discipleship and about your freedom. So that's important for you to know. And a verse that's always great to have in mind as you consider this is 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, which says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, Just this week, I've updated the website page on this. Um, If you go to the website and then forward slash give, uh, then you'll find details about all of this um, there. You'll also find at the bottom of the page, there are some, you know, if you've never done a budget before, there's a a template spreadsheet that you can fill in all your details in to see how much money's coming in, how much money's going out, how much do I have left over? What am I going to do with that? And so if you find that useful, you can find all that on the website as well, along with all the other details that you would need to consider um, giving. So let me encourage you to do that. Now, just before I finish, I want to just say a little bit about where your giving goes to help you think about that. Over the next few years, we've got some big challenges and opportunities as a church um, ahead of us. Uh, We want to be reaching our parish and beyond with the good news of Jesus. Um, I hope to be announcing to you next week a way, uh, an an Easter initiative um, uh, for doing that that's going to cost some money. Uh, We're hoping that restrictions will ease enough um, that in August we can hold a holiday club for uh, uh, school-aged children. Um, in in here. We expect that that will be something that is very popular. It will also cost some money uh, to run it. 
And we want increasingly in the months and years ahead to be running regular events that place our church at the heart of this community, a place where people love to come and to meet other people and to meet God as well. And those sort of things will cost money as well. In the next year or two, we're going to have probably approaching a thousand people moving into our village as they buy up these new properties that are being built down the hill. That's going to have a big impact on our village. And there are lots of more people that we're going to be responsible for at that point. How will we reach them? Well, there are some ideas, some great ideas, but that's going to cost some money as well. And we want to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. We want to think as well beyond the parish. On the 1st of March, the PCC will be meeting and we will be considering a budget for the year ahead. And we're hoping to start a couple of new funds. One will be a church planting fund. We'll be putting money aside every year so that in the future, maybe five, six, seven years, we could consider doing a church plant or graft from OPC into another church in the way that we received just that kind of uh, thing back in September. And so we want to be able to put some money aside. In a couple of weeks' time, the new AV and PA is going to be installed in this building using money that the graft was sent here with in September. It's It's a great help in starting a new initiative like that. And so we want to be able to send people out in the future with that kind of support. We're also hoping to open a mission fund Um, supporting every year um, uh, missionaries abroad who are sharing the gospel with people who wouldn't otherwise hear it. We want to be doing that. We want to be investing in discipling our own children and young people. You know, the the appointment of Anna de Castro is a big part of that as our children's youth and families worker. But at the moment, her role is heavily supported by grant funding for three years. And then that funding will go away. We will need to be able to continue to to support her role internally with our own giving. And so we're aiming for that. Uh, we're, We're also, I hope I'm not getting ahead of things here, to mention that there's talk of later in the year taking the youth away for a weekend or the inside of a week so that they can uh, grow together as, uh, as a group, but also so that their relationship with God can be growing as well. That will be something that we'll need to support. We're hoping uh, this year to refurbish the parish centre, which is in very desperate need of investment. Um, we're hoping very soon to um, get more clarity about how much that's going to cost, but it's probably going to be quite a bit. And after that, there's attention that this building needs as well. Not because we want fancy, swanky buildings, but because we want venues in which we can more effectively um, share the gospel with people and meet together. And so there are lots of opportunities in the months and years ahead, but much of this will depend on us as a church increasingly investing our treasure in God's work here. You know, I reckon to maintain the ministry that we have here at the moment with two full-time members of staff means that we approximately need to double our income as a church in about five years. that's That's a big challenge, but we're trusting God with that. And our aim is not just to balance the books, but to go beyond that so that we can start taking advantage of more and more of the great opportunities that God is giving us here to grow and build his kingdom. Now, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm hugely excited to be the vicar of this church in this time. I think we've got a very exciting uh, future ahead of us. And I'm really excited. I, I see this real spiritual openness, actually, in recent months across our villages, um, having spoken to people, people maybe who are watching our live stream right now, I don't know. 
And I increasingly a warmth towards the church as well, which is amazing. And I think that as we emerge from COVID, we're going to find that we have more and more opportunities to position ourselves as a church right at the heart of this community, a place that people love to be, love to come, a place where people can encounter God. And I'm so excited about the work that he is going to do in us in the years ahead as we respond to this gospel of a God who has given everything for us. I trust that as we do that, we will respond echoing back to him that there is nothing we wouldn't give to the God who has given everything for us. I'm just so excited to be part of this church family at the moment. It's an absolute privilege. Let's commit all this to God. Let's pray together. The writer of the Proverbs says this in chapter 30, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And so Father, we pray that for ourselves, that you would give us neither too little nor too much, that you would give us all that we need, our daily bread. And we pray that you would so win and capture our hearts that we would know financial freedom as you define it. Not being caught up in the things of this world, but instead having our hearts gripped by you. Free us from the grip of money, we pray, and fill us with a love for you that would move us to turn our whole lives over to you in praise. And we ask that as we do that, that you would glorify your name, that you would build your kingdom. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.